Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I want to pick up where we left off last week. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Last week we talked about, uh, boy this doesn't sound like a hallelujah moment, but we talked about the darkening of the understanding. I think that's a, that, uh, that's a sobering subject. And the darkening of the understanding in scripture is not uh, an event, it is a process that is initiated by human decision. We can make decisions that actually close us off from revelation. So I want to talk about the opposite of that this morning. How do we position ourselves uh, for revelation? There are, there are things that you can do. You can position yourself in your relationship with God. There is a heart posture that will actually open you up to insight in Scripture. There's the, the darkening of the understanding. Pro, uh, set, uh, Proverbs 28, 14. It's one of Solomon's Proverbs. Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. And one of the Proverbs that he wrote was chapter 28. In verse 14 it says this. He who fears the Lord. Uh, essentially it's juxtaposing the fear of the Lord. Let's look at it. I, I can't. I won't be able to quote it. Uh, Proverbs 28, 14, let's read that. Listen to what he says here. This is sobering. 28, 14, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. That, that's an interesting passage when you think of the author. Solomon was, through an encounter, made the most wise man that ever lived. I got with some young guys this week on Friday, and we were discussing some, some things, uh, a scripture, I call them the young bucks. So we got together for a theological discussion, and uh, one of them was asking about Solomon, and, and uh, what, matter of fact, my 17-year-old son was the one who asked the question. He said, Dad, last week you said that God will not give you wisdom that you can't handle. He won't give you understanding or insight that you're not ready for. And he said, well, what do you do with Solomon? And he just sat there and looked at me, and they all kind of looked at me. Now we got him. <laughs> you know, we got the old man. And, uh, and so, good question. What's the deal with Solomon? If God will not give us wisdom that we can't handle, insight that we can't handle. Because like we talked last week, one of the primary uh, uh, ways in which God administrates his kingdom, one of the primary ways in which God uh, governs his people is through Revealing and concealing. Mysteries and revelation. We see these themes come up in the New Testament. So what, what is that all about? God will actually hide things from us and for us. He will hide them from us until we're ready to handle them. And what he wants to do is awaken a hunger in our heart and the seeking, the desire, the hunger that he ignites in your heart, if you will cooperate with that, will actually work to prepare you. It will qualify you to steward what you're longing for. But if we're satisfied with not knowing, you know what you'll get? You'll just stay this, you'll not know. 
If you are satisfied to stay ignorant about the things of God, you will stay ignorant about the things of God. One of the things, revelation requires hunger. God will release to those who hunger and thirst. He will give you revelation if you ask for it. But you've got to ask and you've got to seek and keep on seeking. You've got to knock and keep on knocking. And so we need to understand that there are things that we can actually do. Revelation is not, oh, some people are, that's their inheritance, and I'm over here just, I'm not going to be a word person. I'll be a, uh, you know, I'll be a, a, a spirit person. That, that is not a category within God's mind, okay? There's not the non-word people. God wants you to understand the word of God. He wants to give you wisdom and revelation. But there are things that we need to do to qualify, and it's very clear in Scripture, there are several criteria, and, and perhaps we'll get into this this morning, but I'm telling you, hunger is one of them. There's, there's this fascinating dynamic you see in Jesus' teaching ministry. He teaches, you remember the sermon on the soils of the heart, and he says there's four types of soil. There's the, the trodden path, the, uh, uh, yeah, the trodden path that the, 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 the seed of the word just skitters across the top, it can't penetrate because it's been walked on so much. It's too hard. The word, the seed, cannot penetrate the soil, which, and Thank God that Jesus interprets this for us himself. This is Matthew 13. That when the seed of the word hits the top of your heart, if it doesn't penetrate your heart, you have no understanding. And he's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about those who sit under the teaching of the word, week in and week out. Now that alone needs to make us tremble a little bit. That we can actually sit under the word of God and not understand anything that's being said. And actually be content with that. And that's exactly what happened in Matthew 13. There was a crowd pressing in on Jesus. So Jesus rolls out this teaching on the parable of the soils. And he tells them, he said, there's four types of human heart. There's the farmer went out to sow and he sowed it on the trodden path. And he said, the, the, the seed could not penetrate, therefore they did not understand. Then the second type of soil was that the soil that uh, it was the stony ground uh, and so what happened is there were stones underneath the surface. There's very good soil on, this, on the, the, the evidence surface, but underneath it there's stones, unyielding things that will not allow the root system to dig down deep. And so it looks real good. When the seed hits it, the word hits that heart, all of a sudden it springs up and everybody thinks, oh my goodness, this, this guy's growing like a weed. This woman's gonna be an evangelist by the end of the week. This is amazing. Look at this growth. But then the trials of life come and the sun, when the sun begins to bake that soil, the, the, the uh, moisture in that top surface soil is dried up and so the root system begins to dig down to get, find more nourishment and it can't penetrate the stones so it goes out and all the energy that would have gone down creating roots goes up creating appearances and then it dies. And most of us have seen believers like that. Man, they get radically saved, seem like they're gonna follow after Jesus. They're on fire and then they're no more. 
Because the trials came and exposed the unyielded places in their heart. Then the third type of soil was the, uh, the uh, weed, the, the thorny ground here. And so it says the seed went in and it grew, but there were thorns that grew up with the plant. So simultaneously along with this plant are these thorns that begin to choke out the word. And he defines it like this. He said it's, and you got to take several of the passages together. There's, I want to say it's Luke 4 or Luke 8 and Mark 4. It's Mark 8 and Luke 4. And it's Matthew 13. I know that one's right, okay? So check it out for yourself. The synoptic gospels, you lay them against each other and you get the full picture. And he says that the, the thorns are the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the worries, or, or, or the pleasures of this life. So there's cares, and then there's the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches is that it will actually solve your worries. And if you've lived any time at all, you realize that ain't true. More money comes more concerns because you buy more stuff and more stuff breaks. Kathy and I went into our laundry room this morning and there's a leak in the ceiling. I'm like, oh, nuts. You know, I'm going to have to go look at that. I'm thank God for my home, but now I got this concerned. Back when we worked at Teen Challenge, I would have called you, Roger. Roger was the maintenance guy. Roger, fix my ceiling. <laughs> it was awesome. Now I got cares. And so that's, you know, it's the cares of this life begin to choke out. Though. And then there's the good soil that brings forth 60 or 30, 60, and 100 fold. And again, he's talking about believers here, people who sit under the word. So we see even in that parable, there are some who are able to receive and some who are not. Some people who will receive and they do great until the trial comes. Some people who will pass the test of the trial but will fail in the blessing stage. There are people that will endure a trial and fall away in a blessing. And then there's those who bring forth much fruit. We need to strive to be that, that last company. Now, when Jesus told this parable, he didn't at first uh, tell them what it meant. And so I've heard people preach from this passage because you look in Matthew and it, he says to his disciples, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you to not to them. And then he tells them what this means. And they asked him in there, they said, Jesus, why do you preach in parables? And he said, I do it so that they will hear and not understand. Now, I don't know about you, but that troubles me about my Jesus. When I first read that, I was deeply troubled that Jesus would intentionally teach in such a way that his audience would not understand. But you know why he did it? Because what he was teaching was too valuable to be given to those who wouldn't treasure it. So some people read Matthew 13 and they say, well, see, there, there are those who are appointed for revelation and those who aren't. The disciples, they were chosen and so therefore they were appointed to revelation. But that's not the whole picture. You've got to look at the other gospels and you find out they were just as clueless as the rest. Because they, in the other gospels, they say to Jesus, we don't understand what you're talking about. What is this stuff about soil and, and hearts and all that? And Jesus then begins to unpack to them what he was talking about. 
So you need to understand, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom weren't just sovereignly given to some who were the elect and some and withheld from the others. No, it, nobody understood what he said. He taught that way intentionally. He awakened their hunger by teaching something they didn't fully understand. And the, the understanding of it was only given to those who stuck around after the meeting and said, Jesus, don't leave us hanging. We've got to understand what this means. We want to understand the kingdom. And Jesus looks at him and said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you. And then he explained it. He was about to give them the knowledge of the secrets. And we need to understand, that happens every Sunday morning all over the world. The teaching of the word goes out and it lands on different types of soil. And you get to choose what kind of soil you are. You get to choose if you're going to be a stony ground here Hey, let's, let's face it, we've had a lot of traffic on our heart this week. Are you going to allow your heart to be hard and not, not understand and be content without understanding? You see, none of them understood. You could have made the case that all of them were trodden path hearers initially. But the disciples took a tiller to their soil and came up to Jesus after the meeting and said, Lord, we're not content to sit and listen to you and not understand. We want to know. So one of the primary criteria for revelation is that we've got to press in for more. We've got to ask and keep on asking. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. There are a lot of people who lack wisdom, but they don't ask. The Lord spoke to me about probably 12 years ago. Joel Budd was preaching that morning. I was sitting on the front row, and the Lord began to speak to me, and he said, many of my children live in ignorance of my principles and then get frustrated with me about not how, how the, their life is not working. But rather than press in for insight, they get offended. We need to press in and say, God, this thing's not working and the problem's on my end. There's something I don't understand. And if we'll press in for insight, God will give it to us. But the first criteria is hunger. We've gotta ask and keep on asking. And what Solomon gives us here is he gives us a picture of two types of people. The fact is every time God speaks to us, we are at a fork in the road and we have a decision. We can go this way, which is called the hardening of the heart, or we can go this way, which is what? The fear of the Lord. He juxtaposes these two dynamics over against each other. Let me read it again. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. That's the key. Solomon should have abided by his own preaching. When my son asked me and all those young guys leaned in with a grin on their face when he said, what about Solomon? What do you do with that one? This is what I told him. And this is a scary reality. Solomon broke into supernatural wisdom. One of the guys was asking about dreams. This is how we kind of got on this subject. He was saying, what, what's the deal with dreams, Pastor? Is that, you know, he, he has a dream and this thing, it's like a reality in his life. What is that? We need to realize that we can have encounters with God in the night watch, in a dream, and wake up a different person. That's what happened to Solomon. God can encounter you in a real way. And there was an impartation that made him a different man. He woke up the wisest man who ever lived. But here's the scary reality and the answer to that question. That wisdom is not necessarily permanent. You can step into re revelation, but if you don't steward it well, you can actually lose the insight that you received. 
the revelation that once inflamed the passion of your heart and caused you to fall more in love with Jesus can become just cynical insight that actually uh, mocks you with its emptiness. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote his first book, The Song of Songs. It was a song of a passionate love affair. And it's a picture of that, that love affair between King Jesus and his church. It's been preached all down through church history in that manner. And it's a valid interpretation. It's about the, the heart that is captured by him. Solomon started out well. Then he went on to write his, much of his books of Proverbs about great wisdom and great insight. Including this verse telling us that if we will always fear the Lord, we'll be blessed. But if we harden our heart, we'll be tormented. And Solomon didn't heed his own words because he hardened his heart against some dictates that God had given to the kings. He said, you're not to amass a bunch of wives. Solomon had 300 wives, 300 mother-in-laws. Oh, I'm sorry. I got outside the text. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, 300, 300 wives and 700 concubines. He said, not to amass a lot of gold and not to amass many horses. And Solomon hardened his heart on all three of those spots. And Solomon ended up to drifting away from the Lord. And he closed his life out writing this depressing book that many people read and think. I've had people ask me, what is the deal with Ecclesiastes? Why did God put that in the book? You ever wondered that? If you haven't, you haven't read it yet. <laughs> Everything is meaningless under the sun. You work hard, amass great wealth, and then your kids squander it at your funeral. I mean, that's pretty much what it says. It's like, wah, wah, wah. It's like, this is a bummer book. But the operative phrase, the key phrase to understanding the book of Ecclesiastes is that phrase, under the sun. It's what philosophers call a closed system. In other words, you're not going to look above the sun. You're not going to look outside of creation for meaning. You're going to try to find meaning within life itself. And this was written by a man who had the most beautiful women to be his, his partner. He had more money than any of us can fathom and all the academic learning that anybody, he was the smartest man that ever lived. And at the end of his life, he said, everything is meaningless under the sun. And the revelation that once ministered to his heart tormented him because he cut himself off from the life of God, because he hardened his heart. Now, those of you that weren't here last week, go back and listen to the podcast from last week, but let me just, I'm gonna do about three minutes review. Ephesians chapter four, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter four, he says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He uh, also uses that phrase in Romans 1, the futile thinking. Both of those passages, Ephesians 4 is talking about the digression and the hardening of the heart in an individual scale. Romans 1 is talking about it on a corporate or national scale, the darkening of the understanding. And we need to understand, we are living in an hour where the darkening of the understanding is, is rapidly increasing in our nation where people cannot connect the moral dots. And the first uh, defense against that is to make sure it doesn't happen in our own heart as an individual. So, and Paul says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. 
Paul wouldn't warn us about that. He wouldn't tell us we must not do something that wasn't a possibility of us doing. So we need to realize this is a possibility for the believer to slide into this lifestyle. He said you must no longer live in the futility of the thinking. And then he he reverse engineers this. He talks about the end result of this mindset and works his way to the root. The fruit down to the root. He said they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of, or the cause of which is, the hardening of their heart due or uh, Uh, or the ignorance that is in them, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardening of their heart. And so the root of this thing is the hardening of the heart that Solomon talks about. That we harden our heart and we put our hand up and say, God, I don't want to hear that uncomfortable truth because it will cost me something. And what we need to realize is ignoring the voice of God will cost us much more. Because we can't compartmentalize that process. When we harden our heart in one area, there is a process that sets in. And we not only lose the one truth we were ignoring, ignorance sets in and we begin to lose touch with the truths we once had. And then finally, we're darkened in our understanding. We lose the faculty, the moral faculty to receive more revelation. We can't receive instruction from the Lord. It's like we're closed off and people can preach and it's like it doesn't make sense to us. We can't connect the dots. And Paul's warning us. It's exactly what Solomon is talking about here. So what is the opposite of that? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is when we hear something from the Lord, even though it's costly, we understand that God is weighing, God, God is the judge of all the earth. Remember when Abraham prayed for Sodom and he said, will not the judge of all the earth do justly? It was a rhetorical question. What Abraham was insinuating is God is intimately involved in human affairs and he's evaluating our lives and there is a reaping and a sowing. The law of the harvest is enforced by the God of the harvest. And that is the basis of the fear of the Lord. We realize that God is intimately involved and there is, it's impossible to please God without faith and faith means that you believe he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There are rewards in the kingdom that will motivate you. And if we don't have that concept, I'm telling you, this thing, (laughs) let me get a little little rabbit trail here, okay? The grace message, the grace of God that gives us salvation is a very real thing, but that same grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And if your revelation, your vision, your understanding of grace is simply that God allows you to skate by and make it into the kingdom, then your revelation of grace is insufficient. That is, there's an element of grace. Part of the definition of grace is that God invites you. He makes provision for you to come in, that you don't earn your salvation. But that same grace is to teach us to say no to ungodliness. And when we lose this idea that there are, that God is balancing the scales, there is discipline from the Lord and there are rewards from the Lord. And some people, when you talk to them, they have no frame of reference for this kind of thing. Rewards, boy, that sounds like works. It's right there in the word. The parables of Jesus are very clear. 
The master called his servants. He gave them talents. Then he went off on a long journey. They put it to work. One buried it. He comes back and he wants to settle accounts. This is not merely talking about the end of the age. This is talking about a dynamic in the kingdom that is continually happening. Jesus would not have told a parable that was irrelevant to his hearers. He's talking about this is how God operates. God will impart to you in a very real sense. He'll impart and depart. He'll give you something in his presence. He'll withdraw and then he'll see what you're going to do with it. And what you do with in his absence, what he gave you in his presence will qualify you or disqualify you for the next wave. And so God will come and when we invest what he gives us and steward it well, we get more. God will give us more revelation. God will give us uh, more, the, the resources of the kingdom. But if we bury those things and we don't treasure them and we have this mindset, well, it's all by grace, then at best we stay immature. And God wants to grow us up in the things of him. He wants us to understand that there are rewards in the kingdom. That's why Hebrews 11, when it defines faith, it says we, need, we must understand he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Is that a part of your frame of reference when you think of him? That there is a reward at the end of this seeking. If it's not, if your idea is, well, that's kind of arbitrary. God gives blessing to some and not to others, and that's a sovereign choice, and we're just down here, and life happens to us. No, there's an engagement of the human heart that we cooperate with him, that we can posture ourselves for blessing, for breakthrough, and for wisdom and revelation. And God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And those who don't are left without the breakthrough they could have had. Because God, there's an effort that is expressed that actually changes us. God, God uses that to grow us up. And we need to understand that this is not a lack of grace. That is actually great, cooperating with grace. Grace working in us, creating a hunger and teaching us to seek him. And when we do that, we begin to grow with him. And so this thing of revelation, it starts with the fear of the Lord. We, we yield to his dealings. The fear of the Lord is, it, it lives, it makes decisions today based on the consequences tomorrow. We weigh everything in light of the consequences of our decision. The opposite of the fear of the Lord is the hardening of the heart, but the, 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 the mindset is foolishness. The fool says in his heart, tomorrow we may, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Don't worry about how you're, irresponsible behavior affects you because you might not even be alive tomorrow to re reap the consequence. Just live it up for the moment. Whereas wisdom looks at the long term and it says, I'm gonna make the right decisions now. I'm gonna make my decisions now based on the long term results. And people who live like that, there is a slow accruement of blessing that begins to snowball in their life in every area, including your finances. I used to, I used to, be in the drug culture. And as I got saved, some of my friends, they came out of that. And I remember one guy saying, it's just amazing. Now that I'm not doing drugs, I don't know what to do with my money. I actually have more money to spare. The guy had a great job, made really good money, but he blew it all on drugs and alcohol. When he got sober, all of a sudden he had money. He wasn't even living for the Lord. But he was living wiser than before. And he was reaping the benefits of that. God invites us into those things. So, okay. Here's how we posture our heart for revelation. 
Because revelation is a very real thing. Not everybody has the same insight into the word. Do you recognize that? And that's not some sovereign thing. Well, well, they're graced for it. It's an invitation to you. Ask, seek, and knock. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. Search for wisdom. Cry aloud for understanding. Search for it as hidden treasure. Why? Because it is. Because with wisdom comes all the other things you long for. And so God invites us into it. So what do we need to do? Number one, we need to have hunger. We need to ask. If you are content to not have wisdom, you'll live in your present state. But if we begin to ask, God will begin to give it to us. The other thing is the purity of heart. It's interesting, when you look at Solomon, he has this encounter with the Lord in a dream. And the Lord said, ask of me anything you want. What an opportunity. What an amazing thing to be told by God. He's in this dream and the Lord said, ask of me anything you want. And Solomon says, Lord, your your favor was on my dad. And I've inherited his position. And I don't have what it takes. I'm like a child. I I don't know how to go in and go out. I need wisdom to lead your people. And the Lord was pleased and he said, Solomon, because you did not ask for wisdom or fame or the death of your enemies, I'm going to give you wisdom. You will be the wisest man that ever lived. None, none will be like you in the, on earth or in, to come. And then he went on to say, and I will also give you riches and fame. I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. You know, it's interesting, later on, Solomon would write, with the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and with it comes riches and honor. That wasn't an anomaly. It wasn't a one-time thing that, that God tells Solomon. Well, because you feared the Lord, and because you made the right decision, because your heart was pure, and you didn't ask for things for yourself, you were really thinking of my kingdom, then I'm going to do a special thing I'm not doing for anybody else. I'm going to give you wisdom and honor and riches. Solomon later on realizes that the very way he answered that question was a kingdom principle, open to all of us. That with wisdom comes riches and honor, and the secret of wisdom is purity of heart. If you go to the book of James, the book of James is one of the primary books of wisdom. We don't think of it as a wisdom book, but it most definitely is. He says in chapter one, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. But if he's gonna spend it on himself, he shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. You see how Solomon postured himself to pass that test through his answer? Later on in the book, we see in chapter four, it's like verse 13, 14, He says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, sincere. He goes through this list. But he is very careful to say the first uh, uh, manifestation of that wisdom is heart purity. He says, it's first of all pure, then peace-loving. You look in the Beatitudes, it's in the same order. Blessed is the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Same idea, because those two things always come together. But the wisdom 
The, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will see God and you'll see God on every page of the book. If you can really get your heart where it's pure before the Lord. That's why James says later on in that passage, he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Weep, mourn, and wail. Turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And in due season, the Lord will lift you up. What he's talking about is go to work, really dig down deep and say, God, uproot this stuff in my life that is keeping you from giving me what I need because you can't trust me to steward it well. I have a double, I'm, there's a double-mindedness. I want your glory, I want you to be glorified, but I also want some for myself. And so he says, let's go to work on this. Purify your hearts because the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. That's what that whole passage is about. It's about qualifying our heart for revelation. John chapter seven, we see Jesus answer this question. The Pharisees asked him, John, or they asked Jesus, Jesus, where did you get such insight? Where did you get such wisdom? And true to form, Jesus answers his question in such a way that they don't really think he's answering the question. They said, where did you get such insight? He said, I came not to glorify myself, but the one who sent me. And I guarantee you, all the people that were asking that question are thinking, Jesus, we're not interested in your motive for learning. We want to know your source. Where did you get this insight? And Jesus was giving them the answer. The secret of my source is my motive. I'm not here to please myself, but the one who sent me. That is the essence of heart purity. If we can get to the place where our heart burns for his glory, if we can get to the place where we say, God, I just want what you want, there is a dynamic that opens up that God will begin to give us wisdom and revelation. But James already warned us in chapter one. If we ask for wisdom so that we can indulge ourselves, the heavens are closed over us. But if we can deal with that, if we can, if we can deal with that impurity of heart, that double-mindedness, then God will begin to open up to us and give us revelation. And the foundation of that is the fear of the Lord. So we can posture ourselves for wisdom and revelation. We, we really need to understand. There, there are people who are gifted to teach the word of God and, and I'm grateful for those people that, and I've received a lot from people, but John is very clear. You are not dependent upon teachers. You don't have, he, he actually says, you, have, you don't have a need of a teacher. You have an anointing that teaches you. Now, we gotta balance scripture with scripture. God gave us teachers so we can benefit from them and, and it, we do well to you know, avail ourselves to their, their gift, but we're not dependent on that. It's not like, well, there's a people that are anointed for insight and then there's the rest of us. It's available to all of us. The invitation is open. Do you want wisdom and revelation? Do you want to understand the word of God? Do you want the, the dots to connect? Then hunger and thirst after righteousness. Ask him. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. Begin to ask the Lord. And God will begin to give to you what you need. He'll begin to give you that wisdom and that revelation. And some of it, we talked about it last week. There is asking level and there is seeking level wisdom. 
There's some that you just ask and you receive. There's other, there's the seeking and it's a process. But that process will actually build the character in you to qualify you to steward it. But there's this process that we enter into. This, life, this lifelong student, uh, you know, being studious the rest of our life, saying, God, I want to understand your kingdom. I don't know what you, I, I feel that this morning. There is an invitation from God. Some of you, you there are things you're longing to look into. Let, let me see if I can find this document. I just told you what the Lord spoke to me a number of years ago. I doubt if I'll be able to find it, but I'm gonna try. Uh, because essentially what he was telling me is that too many of us live frustrated when actually the frustration from our circumstances needs to provoke us to press in for greater answers. If your life ain't working, I know that's not good grammar, but it's good preaching. If your life ain't working, it's because you need greater revelation. And God longs to give it to you. He's not a bad father that's just down there tormenting you with your frustration and you'll, you know, it'll lift when you get to heaven. God is wanting you to press in for revelation and ask him for that what you need and God will give it to you. But often what he does is he withholds it from us because we're not yet ready to hear what he needs to say. And that pursuit, there, there, is a, there is a hunger and a pursuit of God that will cause us to begin to throw things overboard. Okay, I'll get rid of this and I'll get rid of that. Lord, I just want more of you. And that process purifies us so we can qualify that for that greater revelation. But God is, God is too great. See, someone's crying out back there. They're already getting the message. There's, there's greater revelation that's available to us if we will ask for it. But God is too good a steward to just give it to people who won't value it. And in that sense, he will not give it to us before our time. Solomon had qualified for wisdom. But here's the scary part. You can receive wisdom and not maintain it. Let's land it with this. Solomon, in, uh, in Proverbs chapter, I want to say it's six and seven. He's got that little scenario where he's talking about, he looked out his window and there was a, a, a fool, a foolish youth. And he went down by the way of the immoral woman's house. And he, he went by her house and she was standing on the street corner and she seduced him in. And she said, my husband is on a long business trip. He won't be, he won't be around for a, a while here. And what she was doing is she was attacking the fear of the Lord, this thing in him. There's going to be consequences. What if I get caught? And she's trying to seduce him. We'll get away with it. She's trying to remove that barrier of the fear of the Lord, which was a safeguard in his heart. And here he was seduced, and it said, her mouth is the opening to the grave. And many have been destroyed by going in her door. It's a terrifying picture. And he says, he gives that as the picture of foolishness standing in the high point of the city, advertising its wares. There is a seduction to sin that is bold and brazen and tries to lure us in. And then he gives this picture of wisdom being a female. I find it really interesting that there's these two females. One is foolishness, this is Solomon, one is foolishness and one is wisdom. And wisdom is more discreet. Wisdom is like a lady. You have to win her. Years ago when I was single, 
I, I have the works of Shakespeare. I've never read it, but it looked good on my shelf. And so I pulled it down one day. I opened it up. I'm a single guy. And this is the one line I know from Shakespeare. It says, she is beautiful, so she is to be wooed. She is a woman, so she is to be won. I put it back. I thought, that guy knows women. It's an amazing quote. There is, when, when, there is something about the feminine that needs to be pursued. Even at this, the smallest expression, the sperm and the egg. The sperm goes to the egg, not the other way around. The sperm pursues the egg. The egg just sits in the waiting room waiting. Hi, boys. You know, she's got her <laughs> fixing her hair, you know, looking pretty. And it's a picture of righteousness. Righteousness has to be won. Wisdom has to be won. You have to pursue wisdom, but foolishness will pursue you and promise you the world and leave you empty and destroyed. And here's the scary thing. I've been married to this beautiful woman on the front row for 34 years. I'm looking for a conquer, yeah, 34, yeah. 34 years, a week and a day ago. And you know what? I still have to pursue her. <laughs> I didn't just win her 34 years ago. I, you know, I'm Norwegian, and Norwegians are usually known for not being real expressive. I heard about this Norwegian, or this lady, she was married for 35 years, and she told her husband, she said, you never say you love me. The only time you ever told me you loved me was on our wedding day. And he said, well, woman, I told you that day. And if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> Thought that was okay. That ain't going to work. Wisdom has to continually be pursued. Solomon courted wisdom and broke into wisdom, but he didn't maintain the marriage. He didn't keep the relationship with wisdom. Wisdom is precious. It's to be guarded. Proverbs chapter 2 says, search for it as hidden treasure. If it really is treasure, you will treasure it. You will guard it. You will continue to pursue those things, and you won't let it out of your sight. The things of God... We can break into wisdom, or we, and, but we can harden our heart and actually lose what we once had. It's called ignorance setting in, according to Ephesians 4. So we need to pursue wisdom. And we never outgrow the courtship. We still, we need to value wisdom. I was talking, you guys remember Dean Briggs? I was talking to Dean Briggs a while back and we were talking about this dynamic and I found it interesting. He said, we were talking about how the Lord, it seems like the Lord will bring you back to a truth. You ever notice that? You'll be studying something and then you find yourself three years later and you're studying that same thing, but it's deeper this time. It's like he's speaking to you, got it again. Then three years later, it's like, wow, there's more here. And he was talking, he said, I, I think it's like going up a mountain. You're ascending up the mountain. You're, you're in the same spot, but you got a higher vantage point. And I thought, man, that is so good. Then this week I was listening to Dutch Sheets, and he was talking about how the Lord recently told him, I I've brought you full circle. But then in this picture the Lord gave him, he said, full circle, he's on the same place. But then the Lord gave him the three the 3D vision, and he realized, yeah, he'd gone all the way around the circle, but he'd gone higher. And that is how the Lord operates. The Lord will revisit those truths and he will build on the truths you once had. But you've got to maintain and guard those truths so you don't have to keep learning the same old lessons again and again and again. The writer of Hebrews says, I don't want to have to lay again the foundation. That's immaturity. We should be beyond this. He says, let us move on to maturity. 
There is so much more the Lord has for us. Let me land it. Go ahead and stand so you know I'm going to quit. Let me land it with this. What I felt this morning, and and, uh, I was just really groping about trying to figure out where to jump into this, but there is such a thing as individual wisdom and revelation, and there is deposits of wisdom and revelation that God will give to a corporate group of people to a tribe of people, to a local church, because it fits with their assignment. And only in stewarding those truths can they move into what God has for them. And there is more the Lord has for us as a church. There are things he wants to teach us, but we've got to have our heart positioned because he will withhold from us unless we have the hunger enough to really begin to pull on that. There are th- there's some of you, you are so hungry. It's like the Lord has you on a new track. There, it's like there's all kinds of new things are popping in your head. There's, there's new things you're bumping into and you're saying, I didn't know this even existed. And if you will just begin to ask him, man, there is so much more. That hunger itself is a sign God's already working. It is the invitation. Jesus said in Matthew 13, he said, when he told the disciples, I hide it from them so they don't understand, he said, because if they see it, they can have it. Think about that. As you begin to see certain things, it's because God is wanting you to step into a new reality. And you step into, there's a new reality in the kingdom that was a game changer. But you've got to go after that. And too often, we are satisfied with little crumbs. God gives us a little truth and we're like, oh man, that's amazing. And we get distracted by the thorns of this life. And we don't go deeper and there's so much more he wants to give us. And I believe there's things that God wants to roll out to us as a congregation that become part of the the working fabric of this church because there's things he wants us to move into. But we're going to have to come up to a higher level in the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom. So Father, we just pray right now. God, that you'd awaken our hearts. God, we ask you to forgive us Lord, we confess before your throne, we are so easily distracted. Like little children, a squirrel runs by the window and we're off looking at that. We're distracted from what you're doing. Lord, we're asking that you would create in us such a hunger that the whirlwinds around us cannot take our gaze off of you, your kingdom and your word. I just feel it very strongly. There's some of you in Elliot. There, there are things that God has begun to deal with you about. Uh, there, there's things that you're, it's like lately there, you, you begun to realize, man, there's more in the kingdom than I realized. And it's God's doing. And there's an invitation to you. There's, you just go after, I'm telling you, God's gonna open some things up to you. There are questions you have and those questions are given to you by the Lord. That quest, there's a quest he's taking you on through the questions that he's gonna begin to fill out some things that you've longed to know. And uh, that fascination is not a side issue. It's not, you're not getting distracted by minor things. It is the thing. Okay, it is the quest in the kingdom, and I believe that's for for Elliot. But I believe there's others of you in this room 
There are things, there's an awakening in your heart. There's just this hunger. And sometimes it's like an excitement. You just want to burst. You want, to, you want more. I'm telling you, that is the invitation from heaven. Seek for understanding. Cry aloud for revelation. I believe that, me, that means what it says. Cry aloud. There's something about the passionate ignition of your heart saying, God, I've got to know. Sometimes we just need to lose our decorum and just go after this thing. And the Lord will reward that because he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If there's been a, a growing hunger, this, this isn't for everyone, I don't think, but if there's been this growing hunger of late, just this fascination, this hunger, there, it's like there's things that have been, been gripping you, ideas and concepts and things, and you've been asking, Lord, how does this fit together? And I feel like for some of you, it's even been this question, man, I don't know, am I getting off? And no, I'm telling you, that is how the kingdom works. God will lead you along through truth. He takes you on a quest. And if that's you, it, it's been, there's been this ravenous hunger that's awakened. I even feel like there's some of you about six months ago that happened and it began to die down through the busyness and the Lord wants to reignite that this morning. There's a fresh invitation to you. If that's you this morning, I'm gonna ask you to come up in the altar. We just wanna, I wanna pray over you right now. If that's you, there, you know that there's this hunger that's been stirring in you. And I wanna tell you, that, that hunger itself is a gift from God. It's, it, the fact is that we even want him. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said it takes God to love God. The fact that we even hunger him and want him at all is a work of his grace. He is so gracious to make us hungry. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.